What does it take to truly connect with another human being? What happens to us, to our brains, our biology, our relationships, our societies, when we do? How do you have a great conversation? And how do we build and maintain real relationships in an increasingly technological world? I'm interviewing experts from a huge range of disciplines on the art and science of meaningful human connection and discovering how we can all create more of it in our day-to-day lives. My name's Natasha, and this is for you. Georgie Nightingale was fed up. Fed up with small talk and fed up of waiting for her next meaningful encounter to appear out of thin air. So she founded Trigger Conversations, which runs playful events and training to help people have more meaningful conversations in their everyday lives. She's a TEDx speaker with multiple degrees in philosophy, applied psychology and linguistics, and is constantly learning more about the field of emotional intelligence and human interaction. These days, she's something of an expert in the art of talking to strangers, an activity she's turned into a daily practice. She and I discussed conversational scripts, the impact of technology on our ability to relate, how to start a conversation with a stranger without seeming like a weirdo, and how she's learned to feel belonging, no matter where she goes or who she's with. So Georgie, human connection is something that's a core part of your life these days. You you lived for a long time with a craving for more of it, and that craving eventually led you to launch a business focused on it. And it turns out you weren't the only one craving it. There are actually thousands of us chasing a sense of it. But what is it we're talking about when we talk about human connection? What does it mean for you? Mm, Yes, such a difficult question, isn't it? Um, So I've been actually thinking about this a lot when I've been drafting my TEDx. And one idea that keeps coming up for people is this sense that you want to resonate with somebody else, like you're on the same sort of wavelength. And that could be wavelength of shared values, experiences, beliefs, um, interests. But actually, I don't think it is that. I think those things help and make maybe the connection feel can feel deeper because you have that like-minded quality. But actually, I think it's about being seen and being acknowledged. And if those two things happen, um, then you're given that space to feel like you're having a moment with somebody. And actually, the connection is is about that moment. It's not necessarily about what being, is being said. What is being said is part of that moment. It's about being together with another human being and you're sharing something something real and human and that moment will never exist again um because everything obviously changes and um, that's why i kind of generally have love conversations because they're transitory um and they're co-created as well they're like collaborative spaces so for me it's it's being yourself it's being seen and allowed to be seen in that space and that's potentially a sense of resonance but i don't feel like that that's necessary because you know you can connect with people you share nothing in common with in fact the only thing you really share in common is the fact that you're human and you have universal experiences in some respect of the world but those experiences don't necessarily have to be the same yeah it's easy to get distracted sometimes i think by what a connection should or could look like right what needs to be happening what needs to be said what mustn't be said but at its core 
all that's truly required for connection to be present is for people just to be people together. And yet that's much easier said than done, right? Why is it so hard, do you think, for us to feel truly connected if it's actually so simple? Hmm. Yeah, it's another good question. <laughs> so you said people being people, right? So I think that people being people is a really loaded term or a loaded idea because we all have an understanding of ourselves and then we always obviously have the understanding of how we want to be seen. Um, and we therefore choose to express certain aspects of our personalities and not others. And this is obviously dependent on the context. Um, so I'd like, to, uh, I could use the example of like having masks. Um, you know, we show different masks in different contexts where we feel safe to show that mask, but also where we're invited to show that mask. I think that being human is obviously a very complex thing. Um, because, you know, we have so many different modes, modes of being. Um, you know, we're creative, we're expressive and playful, almost like children. We also can be quite responsible and serious. And but sometimes it's difficult to know when you're in an interaction with somebody who it is you're expected to be and who it is you want to be. Um, because we actually, we want to be accepted and we want to fit in, um, in, in the communities, um, that we find ourselves, but also we want to be ourselves. Um, so sometimes those two things can conflict. Um, and therefore you're stomped. You're like, okay, so cool. I want to talk to this person. I want to come across, um, as someone who is, uh, fairly normal, but also not too normal, but I'm boring. And is, is there an end goal to this interaction? Like, do I need to influence them to do something with me? Do I want them to be my friend? Do I need them to like win this business thing? How do I want to come across? So there's lots of judgment going on. Um, and then you're thinking, okay, how do I best achieve this? So what is it I can say? And that's why people always resort to scripts. What do you do? Where do you live? You know, um, and then if it's, if it's someone you know, you probably know what they do. So it might be like, how was a weekend? Uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and these are, these are safe, safe things you can say to start a, a conversation. But the problem, of course, for them is they're not great um, because they've been asked a million times before. So you're not inviting people to actually open up. You're just inviting them to to say what they've said before. I think that actually, if we did express some more of our truth and our reality in the in, in answering these questions, we would have a much more human conversation. But there is a risk to doing that because sometimes then you can upset the pattern, upset the expectation. You know, people aren't, aren't prepared for that kind of thing. Um, and there's a worry there about potentially being judged, and then you know, then you're not accepted. So it's about finding the balance between like you, I'm being unique and I'm being myself, but also I want to, I want to be accepted. Yeah. Wow. It's, um, <laughs> it's busy in there, isn't it? And there's so much at play in our internal experience. And then also what happens externally to deal with that internal tornado just around being with other people. You know, listening to you, it's, it's very clear that you're highly knowledgeable about this subject. And it's also pretty clear that this isn't just theory for you. This is something you've lived and explored in depth over time. Um, and I'd like to go back to that a little bit and set some context. So what sparked all of this? Where did your fascination with connection and specifically with conversation begin? So when I was at school, the age of, I think, 13-ish, I wasn't that popular, let's say. I didn't really fit in. I felt a little bit different um, and I didn't really want to fit in in the sense that I didn't want to give up the freedom of being, of being me, but I also really deeply did want to be accepted and belong. 
Um, and I saw people who I wanted to be friends with and I wanted to be part of these groups and, uh, but I didn't exactly know how to go about doing it. So I'd like watch what they did and interactions and stuff and see people's responses. And I, I didn't really realize at the time, but I was just basically learning about how people operate and how social norms operate and what's going on. Um, and then I tested, I like tried out some of the things that they, they were doing and, and sometimes they worked. And actually, as I went through school, I changed groups. You know, it wasn't so important to fit in. It was more important to belong and be myself. But I was still very, very interested in, in the people element, how people did things, why they did things. It fascinated me. And I went off to university to do uh, philosophy, but I had a real passion and interest for psychology as well. So I kept some modules in that. And I kind of just kept looking around the world and reading about it in my own time. And I ended up doing a part-time master's in a mixture of applied psychology and linguistics. But then I ended up going off and doing some other work because I was also interested in developing programs and I became a project manager and then found myself back in the full-time area and feeling like there was a, a gap in my life. I liked my work, I liked my job, but I was just craving something and I couldn't really put my finger on it. Um, but then I, I look back at my, my week and I realized what I was lacking was great conversation. I was surrounded by so many people like in my working life and also with friends and stuff. So it wasn't like I was not having conversations. It was just the conversations I was having were really boring. I come from a place where intellectually I would be learning a lot and it was not uncommon to be like talking about the meaning of life over lunchtime. And then the conversation just suddenly came about work, you know, either it was what do you do or it's how it's work or when's your next holiday. And, uh, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't really work out what happened. And I really craved a deep, meaningful conversation. I knew I would have one, but I didn't know when and I didn't know where. But I didn't really want that. I wanted it like now to know that it would be coming in more often and that I'd get that feeling of connection and I'd get that kind of excited learning and discovery. So I decided to start engineering this and um, this started with parties I hosted. So I used to run some parties from my home. I decided, okay, let's mix it up. Let's see if we if we change the people, will this help? Will we have different kinds of conversations? So I developed a party, which I called uh, BYOF, Bring Your Own Friend. Everyone who came had to come along with a, with a fellow friend who I did not know. Uh, I had a few versions of these parties. And um, I also tried to change things up a bit more. So I got people to, whoever arrived at the door last became the new host. Well, that was the rule. And it was a really good actually plan because it meant that everybody got really involved and also started making a really big effort to talk to the new people and look after them. So that was quite cool. It was, it was an improvement on the general party concept, but I got to the third one and people were just clicking and like they were heading to people they knew and they were talking about things they felt safe to talk about. And then also the conversations were still stunted and people would still talk about work. And I just thought, I, don't, I really don't want people to talk about this, but I'm not sure that I can tell them that in this party setting. <laughs> Um, stop it you know, stop it immediately stop it exactly so i i realized you know if you if you don't want people to talk about the thing which they always talk about you can't just say don't talk about it you have to give them something to talk about so i realized okay i've got to I've got to engineer i've got to create new rules and create the new environment that people can have different conversations in 
the next kind of catalyst was I was at a festival, the Wilderness Festival with a friend. I went to this workshop on having better conversations because I was still curious. And I met some strangers there. I met this guy um, called Edwin. And at the end of the workshop, I we were told, like, you know, what is your takeaway? And I said to Edwin, I am going to create an event which stimulates interesting and meaningful conversations. And that's exactly what you did. So for people who aren't familiar with trigger conversations, what are they? How do these events work? So the events are are structured. They're really structured. Um, and you get taken through a, a menu, a menu of conversations, um, like a dinner menu. You would go through different courses. So, you know, you would start with your canapes and the questions, therefore, are quite icebreakers and they're short and they're sweet. Um, and then you'll move through to starter conversations, uh, get a little bit heavier and a bit more time. Then the main course, meet, meet deep and thoughtful, uh, fish, which is controversial, you know, fishy, um, vegetarian, nourishing. And then you have a break and then you go through dessert, uh, cheese and coffee. Um, and it's all facilitated. So you've got the conversation menu. Every course has a different amount of time. You're matched anonymously with other people, which is important because we always try and go for people who we think, oh, yeah, that's a safe one. They, they're like me. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a great conversation. And actually, you end up having amazing conversations sometimes with people who you don't expect to get on with. Um, um, oh, and I should also mention the, the way to – this is pretty important, actually <laughs> – Please forgot to mention this. Uh, it's about qu- we use questions. Questions are the trigger. Questions are the way that you get into these deep conversations. Every question is different, and there's a time limit, so you immediately have to jump straight in. You just say what you think and feel, which means you get that amazing authentic- authenticity. Um, yeah, and if nothing else, it's it's fun. You sound like fun. I like how light and playful all of this is too. You know, it's it's great to dive deep and get vulnerable. And it's also great to just be silly and laugh, right? And and connection can happen in both ways. Yeah, yeah. You can have a great conversation without like completely spilling everything in your soul. Um, and uh, I, I really wanted to be creative and, and to be playful because I believe that conversations are um, truly joyous moments where you can actually just be, have fun and explore. Um, the idea is that, I don't think we actually know necessarily what we believe or who we are. I think identity is this very fluctuous, is that a word? Fluctuous state, let's say. <laughs> it um, is now. <laughs> it is now. And um, and conversations are a playground. They're a place to play with ideas and to entertain ideas. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to hold hold fast and actually hold, go with them. Um, and um, so – being over serious and and um, and saying you know like what you say is it has has to have great grounding I think is a kind of a ridiculous way to to go go like, conversation is more like improv um, you know it's it's playing with a moment playing with whatever comes up in that moment and seeing where you're going to go you don't know where you're going to go you're just exploring um, and you're with another human being and you have no idea what's coming up for them in that moment as well. So that's two of you together doing this amazing dance. Um, and the dance is the most playful part. Like, I mean, actually quite literally, I, I've just started to learn to dance, um, and which I absolutely completely adore, although it's very hard in some respects, um, because you have to constantly be there and be present and listening to the other person as well. But when you, when you are there, you get such flow and there's such discovery and there's such um, um, play. 
So um, I really feel like conversations need to have that element to them. Now, you mentioned the idea of being present there. And I know that part of your mission at Trigger is to bring back being present and connected in a digital world. And I'd love to know what you see in that space. What impact do you see technology is having on our ability to be present and beyond that to have real in-person conversations? Yeah, it's a big impact. So there's actually a really good TED talk on this. Um, Cheryl Turkle, I think I believe it is. She also has written a book just about this, like how by being so digitally connected, we actually lose what's real. In real conversation, you don't have a chance to edit. You can just you just have to go with it. When we are our digital selves, um, there's a lot there's a lot of thinking sometimes that goes before you you know press the send button, which means that we're kind of holding behind masks or holding behind something barriers of some sort where we're like, okay, what does I want to say? How do I want to present myself? People can't see your reaction. They can't see your facial expression. Um, they can't hear the way you say it, and it's those tiny nuances the subtle behaviors that actually tell you so much about what's going on for the person and actually that is where the magic is if you listen to your intuition so that's that's one element which we're missing out on the other one is is that um we spend so much time on our devices that um when we are together in in conversation we actually aren't there because we're distracted well actually it's the three issues i see now so the second one is we're distracted and then the third one i'd say is the is, is about the social norms. So the social norm, um, generally in London at least, is don't talk to people who we don't know. So we don't talk to people. And, and like, for instance, you know, on the tube, absolutely no, no, like do not talk to anyone. And so you see people sitting on their phones and they're like, you know, interacting on their phones, texting or whatever it is, but they're not talking to the person next to them. But sometimes I just turn my phone off and I'm like, sit there and I look around. And then you have those moments where actually people kind of are curious it's just, it's a spark. It's a spark. So you can tell there's a like curiosity there of something going on, but no one will absolutely ask anything. No one will actually generally, unless they're for, unless they're from up North <laughs> um, on, in the tube setting though, because, uh, because of the phones, I think people feel like, no, I can't interrupt other people, you know, cause they're, they're in the middle of something. Um, so, uh, what's, you know, in the old days we didn't have phones, we just sat on, on the train, uh, we either read our book or we talked to people generally, right? And now we've got this device or this thing to do instead to play with our time to stop us being bored instead of talking to people. So um, so it, it means there's, there's less options or it seems there's seemingly less options as well to talk to people. And yet we're still surrounded by a million people anyway. Mm. And I wonder sometimes if there's something of a chicken and egg scenario that's unfolding here. You know, yes, technology gets in the way. Yes, it distracts us. Yes, it provides a protective barrier. And what it also does or can do is get us out of practice. You know, I notice it in myself often. I work online a lot. There are times when that part of my work is busy and I'm not out and about interacting with other people or strangers a lot. And it's almost like I forget how to do it, how to have conversations, how to talk to people I don't know. And so I get nervous about it. So I lean on technology even more to provide that safety blanket and then I get even more out of practice and it just becomes this weird, vicious circle. And I wonder if that's also maybe part of the reason that events like Trigger are so popular at the moment because people can feel themselves getting worse at this and so they're looking for a way to remedy it. Yeah, God, it's such a... 
Yeah, this, this resonates just so much because I mean, even my own experiences when I was starting to experiment with talking to strangers, I basically kind of knew that I needed to get better and I wanted to get better and I wanted to see how it worked. And I, I hated that first conversation or that first interaction because I'd always be feeling like that voice in my head would be going, don't do it. Or like, it's not the right time. Or what are they, what are they going to say? Are they going to judge you? Or like, ah. So I'd have to warm up. And, and the way I warm up every day is by smiling at people, proper smiles as well. And then, and then also saying hello. And generally, most people will smile back at me. You don't always know. But once you get that and you get the response, you're like, okay, great. We're, we're with me. I'm not weird. But it's a great warming up activity, which you really need to do. And then you then you can practice the people you're already talking to. So, you know, your transactions and the queues or in cafes, etc. Um, and then you keep building up and building up and building up. And then it gets so much easier. So by the time you're on the tube, it's, it's no big brainy. You just start talking, right? But if you don't do that every day, you get back in a hole and the hole um, makes it just really hard to jump straight in because there's so much um, anxiety sometimes about knowing what to say, knowing when to send it. And and it's that voice I find more than anything. So this is actually um, uh, a really amazing shift for me about, about doing these exercises was where I focused my attention. If you focus your attention inward and you're always thinking about what you're doing or you're one, you're not present, um, makes it really hard to be present. But two, you start judging yourself and you start stopping yourself from actually doing anything. Whilst if you focus your attention outward, so outward on the world, on other people, uh, around on the environment around you, you stop worrying. You know, you're not listening to the voice and you actually are able to get to have an empty space in your head and you're able to go out there and like start doing those small things and looking for um, for positive cues from people that then help you do more and more of it. Now I, I walk out of the house and sometimes in a, I'm in a real grump in the morning. I'm like, okay, right, get back in the zone, right? From the walk between my house and the tube station, I'm going to smile at three people. Do that. Done. Okay, that wasn't so bad. Great. Small challenges. And, and they also, you know, give you a kick. Every time someone, someone smiles back at you, it's like an absolute win. Yeah, I really like that of, of easing yourself into this practice with something easy, like a warm up, right? Um, and it sounds like that can get you into the swing of things, at least, you know, eye contact, smiles, maybe a brief phatic statement like a hello. All right. How's it going? How do you take things to the next level? You know, it feels it feels sometimes like there's this big chasm or a leap to be made from a smile or a nod at someone who's walking by to initiating like a full blown conversation with a stranger without coming off as a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> um, OK, so there's different approaches. So, um, yeah, this is this is uh, definitely the best question. The one I get asked the most is how do you actually start a conversation without like being seen as totally weird and actually invading someone's time moment? Um, so there's, there's one situation is where you're already engaged in a conversation of sorts. So that's, again, cafes, supermarkets, where um, it's expected that you will engage with somebody. And this is the best playing ground for like practicing because it builds confidence and you can play with what you do. So that's this is the easy one, you know, and, and how you do that is you just break scripts. You know, the script, hi, how are you? Fine. You, you don't either say that script or you answer in a way that's unexpected. So when people in, in prep ask me, hi, how are you? I usually say something like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm actually, um, I'm a little bit caffeine deprived, but I'm really happy because I am going to go to meet my friend and we're 
going to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is, right? Which is different to probably what most people say. So it's immediately, it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's different, right? I'm kind of listening now. Uh, and then there's also curiosity. So then they start like, tell me more and they ask why potentially. Um, so that's one scenario. Um, but the, the second scenario is one where I think most people feel most anxious is you've got to have a reason. It seems to, to, to uh, interrupt a stranger. Strangers are threats, right? That's, that's what we, that's kind of the general feeling I, I, I pick up. You know, they, they, you don't want to let anyone into your space, your personal space. Therefore you need to know why, why they're here. So having the why uh, is, is profoundly important. So, and I, and, and I would usually therefore pre-frame whatever it is I'm going to ask them with uh, like, sorry to interrupt you. I, I um, noticed you had great sunglasses. Where do you get them from? Um, I'm asking because I, uh, I like, I like a similar pair, right? So in that sequence, you've got a, um, uh, there's a formula, statement, question, justification. And also I've added a pre-frame. Pre-frame is there is a, sorry to interrupt you. Um, and other preframes could be like, this might sound weird, you know, and by mentioning this might sound weird, you actually take yourself out of the, out of the weirdness because you're acknowledging that, that the interaction might be weird. It makes it seem like, you know, you have a more awareness of what you're doing. So that, that's a really useful way of doing it. And that's a good way to jump into a conversation where someone isn't expecting to talk to you. Another example, though, another situation where then again, they're not expecting to hear from you. Um, to talk to some stranger, but you are sharing a space with them, sharing an environment with them. So, you know, this could be in a museum gallery. This could be in a queue. You're standing next to them in the queue or you're standing next to them looking at a, a painting, right? So you've already shared space and time. So you've already built some level of trust because in that moment, you haven't killed them. You know, people don't like like when people come jumping into their personal space because it's like surprising and they don't know why you're there um, and it's uncomfortable. You know, when people come up to you in the street, it's just a little bit too close. You immediately go like, oh, no, no, thank you. Right. But if they're already there and they haven't done anything bad, they usually they're happy with you being there. So that's the first key. Share space and time. When you've already shared space and time, you can then look around and you start being curious and noticing things about either the person or the environment you're sharing. So the person thing, you know, it could be what they're wearing. It could be the facial expression. It could be what they're reading. All of these things you can use to start a conversation. You can say, oh, like you look really happy or, oh, you're reading a book or um, I'm trying to think, oh, hat, you're wearing a hat. And surprisingly, you can start conversations this way. I've tried all of those and they work. Uh, like actually the hat one worked really well. I was on the tube and um saw this guy with a hat and I just thought that's kind of unusual. No one wears hats these days. So I looked at him and we'd already like had eye contact and, um, and I just went hat. And he went, yeah, yeah, it's from, and I can't remember what he said now, but he told me where it came from and there, and, and it linked to how he'd spent his day. So he told me about his day. Uh, and then we went talking about something else. I can't remember where I went now, but you know, it was just an opener, right? Um, so you can use, you can, you can talk about people, people, what they're doing, but what, what you're looking for is the trigger. You're looking for, um, something that you can talk about. And, and there is, there is so much you can talk about. I think people think that it has to be mind, mind blowing. It really does not. You just have to notice something and share that noticing with someone getting their attention. But the, the initial sequences, yeah, it's, it's just about, um, Noticing something, but also having the confidence just to go with it. 
I was in a restaurant the other day and we were trying to get the waiter's attention. And I was sort of like, you know, half putting my hand up and kind of go, excuse me, excuse me. Like, you know, like something that felt sort of pathetic. And he was like, Georgie, go 10. And I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, 10 out of 10. Like, you know, don't just go lukewarm. Put your hand up. Get your attention. Don't go half in. And I think the same applies generally to conversation. Don't go lukewarm. Don't be awkward and weird about it. You know, if you're going to go in, go in. You know, you've got to just go like and be confident and own it. And actually, people really love it when you are confident because you come across as less threatening. But also it says, oh, that person is confident enough to approach me. And that's a really attractive quality. It reminds me of, um, <laughs> you know, when you meet somebody new and you're, you're going in for a handshake and but you're also kind of half going in for a hug. And you have that really awkward, like, oh, I didn't know what this is meant to be. And that would be going lukewarm because you're not really sure you're waiting another person. Whilst if you just go in and decide, you know what, this is going to be a hug or this is going to be a handshake. The other person feels much more confident and happy in that moment because um, you, you defined what this is. You've taken on the responsibility or the burden of the responsibility for the interaction. Yes, exactly. So this is a very, it's a very good phrase. Take responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Don't wait for things to happen. Define what it is that you want to happen in some respect or how you're going to define how you're going to be. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Mm -hmm. So we've touched on how to warm up for talking to strangers. We've taken a look at how to start actual conversations rather than just polite vocal drive bys. <laughs> but you're not interested in just any old conversation, right? You're interested in how to have great conversations. And I'd like to hear a bit more about that. You know, what makes a conversation a great conversation? Mm. So people would say a great conversation is one where they feel connected. It's potentially a conversation where it's new. So you're not repeating something you've already said before. And that would be like, you know, like the typical work scripts conversation, not having that. Um, so therefore, if you haven't had this conversation before, you're probably going somewhere you're exploring. Um, and as part of the exploration process, you're probably discovering. And that learning can be about lots of things. It could be about yourself. This happens at Trigger a lot, actually, which um, is actually one of the reasons I love it is I'm asked a question. I start talking about my answer to the question. And as I talk about it, I realize, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that thing about myself. The voice we have in our head is very different from um, what happens when we actually speak that voice. So, so by having a good conversation, you're probably not just exchanging facts and information, but you're changing the way you relate to that information. Um, and for me, I mean, that's, that's my version of a great conversation, um, plus the added bonus of actually being connected, you know, so having the, having the experience of being seen and being acknowledged in some respects and there's an element of understood as well although they don't have to understand everything they just have to be there co-creating that moment and what does this look like in practice you know can you give me an example of how all this might actually unfold or how it has unfolded perhaps in your own life recently i, I love the theoretical examples we've got going here and i also just find there's nothing quite like a true life story to yep. to ground this stuff in reality yeah, yeah. No, I get you completely. Okay. Um, so I do have a good example for this. Um, I was on the tube a few weeks ago um, and I was watching this guy. He was sitting down, had a Rubik's Cube and uh, he was moving it really quickly with one hand, 
and it looked very impressive. And he he completed it in under 30 seconds with in one hand, and it looked like his eyes were closed as well. It was just like one of those moments. And I was not the only person watching him. The entire tube seemed like they were watching him. Of course, we were all watching him in silence, though, because no one talks on the tube. And um, then he, he got up to leave. And as he left, he he nodded at his the guy opposite him, who was dressed in a TFL, you know, Transfer London uniform, and was like, bye, mate. So I sat down and I thought, well, this is a great time to have a conversation, isn't it? So I turned to the guy next to him and I said, so can you do this magic trick as well? Of course, it's not a magic trick, but, you know, I glorified it and amplified it. So it sounded a bit more exciting. And he said, um, no, I can't actually, but it is really impressive, isn't it? And we were talking about, um, we got talking about his, this guy, because they work together, um, colleagues, and how um, he can do it in 30 seconds, but actually he wants to do it in, um, in less than that. I can't remember what it was, like 20 seconds or 10 seconds or something ridiculous. So in that in scenario, we're, we're talking about, we're still talking about the, um, opening conversation remark, which is this activity that we've both been watching, which is the Rubik's Cube kind of thing. And we're talking about this other guy who's not there. Now, at that point, I then decided, okay, so we've, we've built that trust and we've um, gone into this conversation. It's going to be interesting, but I don't know how much more there is to say about this other guy. And I'm not also sure I want to talk about this other guy. I want to talk about this guy. So I said to him, oh, he was telling, he was saying as well first about how, you know, we always try and do these challenges, but actually, it's not about achieving the end goal with the challenge. It's about the rush and the chase of actually of the challenge itself. You know, you don't want the end result. You want, you just want to get better at something. So I said to him, so what challenges in your life are you trying to work at? And, and that changes the shape of the conversation because I've immediately gone from talking about challenge per se, which occurred to another person to moving it to asking him about a personal challenge. We're still on topic, but I've changed the agenda somewhat, ever so slightly. And then he started talking about his challenge. And then I asked him, you know, what was preventing him from achieving his goals, etc. So we talked about that for a while. And what we've done there is I've created the space for him to talk about something which matters to him, but I also haven't defined exactly what it is. Challenge is a broad word. But it's his word because we talked about the Rubik's Cube. So you're just changing perspectives. And, and you can do this a lot. In NLP, they talk about chunking up and chunking down. So chunking up is becoming when something becomes more broad. Um, so you, someone can say something very specific. And then you can ask in a broad way whether that thing is actually related to other things in their life. Or someone says something very ambiguous in general. And then you can ask them specifically what that means. No, so going down, that's chunking down. Um, and you can do this in conversation when you want to find more information, explore in different ways. Yeah. And what I love about that question, too, is that it's spacious enough to allow him to respond at whatever level of spiciness he feels comfortable with. You know, it might be something very personal. It might be something funny. It might be controversial. But you've left the door open wide enough that he can come and meet you on his terms. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's another thing which is important is questions by their nature require answers you can of course ignore a question but then it can look bad on you so people feel like they have to answer questions and which can make them feel uncomfortable sometimes so sometimes you want to make that question both specific so they can answer in an interesting way but also broad enough for them to feel like they can that they'll push as to how they must answer it and how much they must reveal of themselves so i could have also asked something else i could have said to him um, if you when he, when he replied, no, he couldn't do that magic trick, I could have said, so what magic trick would you like to be able to do? Or if you could do a magic trick, what would you want to do? 
so again, that's that's a different kind of tangent, but it's again, it's giving him optionality. So that's also taking him to imaginary world and hypothetical world, which is a playful world and creative too. So and and he could choose to bring up personal stuff within that world, or he could choose to just tell me how he thinks and sees the world. And that's also something that's quite personal as well. You must have learned a huge amount about all of this since you started Trigger Conversations. What's the most surprising thing that you've discovered along the way? Oh, gosh, that's a hard question. Um, hmm. Maybe it's something around um, how much work you have to do to achieve a result in conversation. And the answer is nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You hardly have to do anything. I mean, yes, you've got to be hot rather than lukewarm. Most people will quite happily get into a conversation with you and reveal their deepest, darkest secrets without you having to say much. And that continually surprises me because what it says is people want to do it. And I guess that clashes with a lot of what is perceived to be what people want. I, you know, the main argument for not talking to strangers is probably, what should I say? Or they don't want to talk to me. That the answer to that is they probably do want to talk to you. They just don't know how to talk to you and they feel like they can't talk to you. So I suppose that that's one thing I've been surprised about. The other thing uh, is something which I think actually is profoundly important. I think that we live in a bit of a disconnected world. At least I feel like it's disconnected. I feel like we're losing our sense of community. I don't think there's a lot of trust and a lot of like engagement among people and that can lead us feeling like we're not connected to the world and we also don't necessarily belong in the world in every place we are you know like when you go to new places especially you don't know anyone and you feel a bit like isolated and even when I was meeting a lot of people when I was working full-time I was surrounded by people and yet I felt so lonely and I didn't really feel like I belonged to that particular setting and one thing I found that since talking to strangers is that I always belong. I walk into every new environment, which is alien and unfamiliar. And as soon as I start engaging with that environment and the people in that environment, I immediately feel like, okay, you know what? I'm not alone. I can, I can, if I need to talk to somebody, I can walk up to anybody and smile at them. I can get an interaction. I can feel like I've been treated as somebody and recognized and seen. And what that means is you never necessarily feel that sense of social isolation, which is so easy to happen, especially in a city, right? Um, Or when you're traveling, you know, when you are somebody somewhere where you're not with people who you know, it's really important to feel like you belong and and, and that you're wanted and that you're part of a community, part of something greater than yourself. So I think that I didn't necessarily realize, but by talking to people, I started to get that feeling of always being good with where I am and belonging as where I am and belonging as myself. I didn't have to change. I just had to be me. (laughs) It's the ultimate cosmic joke, right? We're all craving the same thing, that sense of connection, and we're all afraid of it at the same time. And it's just sitting there in the meantime, waiting for us to notice it. (laughs) It reminds me of um, John A. Powell. He's a civil rights and racial identity expert. And there's a quotation that I love of his, and I've got it up on my wall, actually, in front of me at the moment. Um, And he says, sometimes people talk about we need to do things to connect. And on the one hand, that's right. But on the other hand, it understates what it is. 
We are connected. What we need to do is become aware of it, to live it, to express it. And listening to you just then, you know, those words of his just come right to mind. You know, one of the things I try to do is is end each of my conversations here on the podcast with one small practical thing that listeners and I can go away and start incorporating into our day-to-day lives. So Georgie, if you were going to offer something simple that we could all go and play with right away, what would you want to invite us or, or challenge us to do? Hmm. Okay. I'm going to go with something which involves a little bit of risk taking. But I think when you take those risks, that's where you get the rewards. Um, so we talked about scripts and we talked about the, the moments in your life where you're already having conversations with strangers. Right. And the easy thing to do is just to follow the script of what you know is normal and expected for you to say. Right. But that's boring. And it doesn't lead to any human connection, really, because you're just doing a transaction. The, the challenge is for people to try and get off script. What is the one thing they could say which is slightly different in that moment? Try that and see what happens. And you'll be surprised by how much of a different reaction you'll get from the other person. He will suddenly be like, oh, no, back in reality. What was that you said? Uh, and how... From that moment of humanness and of there's a sense of also minor vulnerability and minor kind of sharing, personal sharing. You know, if you if you don't know what to say, sometimes the answer is just share something of yourself because you've just given them an offer to pick up and go with. Um, but, but do something ever so slightly different. Um, how can I order a coffee, a coffee differently? When I get onto an aeroplane, what can I say that's slightly different to the air hostess or whatever it is who's greeting you? When I'm sitting on a train. And I have to, you know, ask somebody to move their seat, get out of their seat so you can get in or whatever it is. What can I say in that moment that they're not going to expect? How can I make this more human? That's my challenge. So there you have it. Georgie Nightingale has thrown down the gauntlet. And if you decide to take her up on her challenge or indeed any of the other experiments from guests on the This Is For You podcast, let me know. Drop me a line at natasha at thisisforyou.me. And if you'd like to find out more about Trigger Conversations and what Georgie's up to in the world, head over to triggerconversations.co.uk. That's all for today, folks. As ever, if you enjoyed the episode, please do support the project, leave a review on iTunes, share it with the people you love, and I'll see you soon with my next interview.